I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Imagine your group text. A lot's going on, right? Someone sharing wedding dresses. Someone sharing the new furniture they're getting in their upstate house. I maybe throw in a quick paragraph about a first date I went on. When friends go in to catch up on that, the things that they're going to respond to are the bigger things. This group text dynamic started getting to me because I did feel like, oh, I don't matter as much because the things that I'm sharing are getting skipped over, which feels so like I feel like such a child saying that. But when that's what your friendships are reduced to during the pandemic, it starts to wear on you. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. A couple of months ago, I put on the world's most aggressive N95 mask, and then I went on vacation to Florida. It was while I was there, totally failing to relax, that I got a text from our producer, Caitlin. I can't stop thinking about this article, she wrote. And then she used a bunch of exclamation points. She linked to an essay in The Cut called, I Thought We'd All Be Single Together. The piece came out around the time the Sex and the City reboot and just like that, was hitting HBO. The article was written by Devin Tom. She's a woman in her 30s living in New York. In the essay, she talks about how growing up in the Sex and the City era gave her unrealistic expectations for her 30s. Where, she asks, is her single girl gang? Why doesn't she have a squad of similarly situated female friends to gossip with over comically long, opulent midweek lunches? In Devin's reality, these friends are at home with their kids or out on a couple's vacation or busy getting engaged. She looks at Miranda, Samantha, Carrie, and Charlotte and feels a little ripped off. What gives? Here's how she put it in her article for The Cut. Sex and the City was indeed the first and only television show that exposed me to the kind of glamorous, exciting life I could and did make here one filled with book parties for best-selling authors, hairstylists who give good layers, and exquisitely mixed cocktails. Thing is, I was told I wouldn't be doing it alone. I'm no stranger to the growing pains 
that come with watching your friends enter life stages you can't relate to. Now, happily in my 40s, I can look back at my 20s and 30s and remember how painful those feelings were. You are happy for your friends. You are. But you might also feel lonely and long for what was, or at least for your idea of what could be. It's this truth that made me want to talk to Devin. Hi, I'm Devin Tom. I'm a writer and editor living in New York, and I'm also working on my first book. It is a multi-generational story of women who dare to put themselves first, and I'm 34 years old. By all accounts, Devin's life is pretty great. She lives in her dream city. She has a good job. She's the kind of person who thinks, hey, why don't I write a novel in my pandemic-induced downtime? She also has a solid group of friends that she worked hard to find. Devin is single, and she has been for a while. Even with all of her professional and personal accomplishments, she feels self-conscious about this sometimes. She always has. So I was a late bloomer. I wasn't really thinking about boys that much in high school. I certainly had like huge crushes, but I didn't have a serious boyfriend in high school. And once I got to college and once I hit 20 and, you know, my early experience with guys was hanging out with them at frat houses and all of the stereotypes that you can imagine from there, which is not a great (laughs) foray for a young woman into dating. And I felt very behind even in college. And that certainly continued once I graduated and moved to New York. I think in my early 20s, dating meant on Friday and Saturday nights, you'd get all dressed up with your friends and you'd pregame somewhere and you would go out to a bar or a club and I had a lot of fun, but I definitely, there was, there were a lot of insecurities there about hooking up. In her mid-20s, Devin has her first serious relationship. They meet at a wedding. They're paired to walk down the aisle together, which objectively is a very good meet-cute. Devin and her partner end up doing long distance until she moves out to San Francisco to be with him full time. But it doesn't work out. Devin heads back to New York, and not too long after, she meets another guy. They date for about two years. But, you know, I'm not married. I've never been married. So those didn't pan out. I'm very good at being alone. I'm a very independent person. But I also really like the act of just having someone who's around when you get home, having that automatic person to spend time with. It's more like, what are we doing this weekend together? I just think for me, it can make life a lot richer. Dating does feel harder to me now in my mid-30s than it did in my 20s. And I think part of that is a lot to do with the pandemic. I'm not going out as much anymore, just generally. But even without the pandemic, the idea of having a group of single friends to go out with every weekend, what are we doing this weekend? Which bar are we going to to meet guys? Like I grew up watching in Sex and the City That would not be the reality for me right now, pandemic or not. I 
I want to talk about the pandemic because in the early stages of it, I just got the sense from single people who read the column and listen to the podcast that there was like, obviously great devastation with the pandemic. But in terms of dating, there's a pause, right? Maybe I'm swiping around. Maybe I'm, you know, some people I'm sure were breaking the rules and avoiding lockdown Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But for the most part, it was as if everybody took a, like a truce. Uh, Like, we're all just going to stop for a second. And then after a while, it's like, oh, wait a minute, people are continuing with their lives, right? Like people I knew in couples were getting pregnant. Some of them had two kids during this time, right? (laughs) Like, so I want to talk about how you were seeing people's lives progress, despite the fact that so much had slowed down for so many people, especially single people who had a harder time looking. Totally. That's, it's so funny to think about because when I think about my core friend group right now, one of us was married and still is. She's now pregnant. One of us was in a serious relationship. She has, over the course of the pandemic, they've moved in together and they've gotten married. The other one was single with me at the same time. Now she's engaged and lives with her fiance. So enormous milestones for them over the course of the pandemic. My pandemic looks like a bunch of what I call false starts, where I would meet a new guy, we would date for a couple months, and then for whatever reason, it would fizzle out. If Devin's life were her own Sex in the City reboot, she'd be finding herself with a lot of one to three episode men her own versions of, let's say, Jack Berger. Meanwhile, it feels like she's watching her friends live out their Charlotte and Harry happily ever after storylines. Devin is happy for her friends, but this also kind of stings. Every wedding invite and couple Instagram post is a reminder of what she does not have. She sometimes feels isolated, a reality that sets in when the last of her close friends finds her own match. It was like Labor Day weekend, I think, and it was a girls weekend upstate and it was at one friend's house. Their friend was already engaged and it was kind of like her bachelorette weekend. So we're there and then the third friend arrives late and she has something to tell us and the news is that she's engaged. And I did feel my stomach drop. I was just like, I'm still on this island and everyone has fully moved in on a different island. And I'll tell you, that weekend was not fun for me. Like I was just in the pits the whole weekend. I just did my best to like enjoy it and put on a good face for everyone, especially my friend that we were celebrating. But it was tough. There's a message in that essay, one that could be what I really want is a bunch of single friends to like be single with. But that's, Mm -hmm. that's, it's more nuanced than that, right? It's also like, no, what I'd really like to do is be partnered in a way that I like and have my friends, but it feels that much lonelier to not be partnered if everyone else is, right? Like Exactly. One of my best friends, I'm also friends with her husband, right? They're husband and wife. I'm close with them both. I never get the invite to go with them on vacations because it's always couples that they invite on vacations with them. You know, I look at their trips that they take with other friends and couples, and I wish I could go, you know? I And and part of me feels like if I did have a relationship, I would get the invite. Feeling down on a girl's weekend where she should be having a great time, this clearly isn't the sex in the city life Devin envisioned for herself. 
all club nights and brunch mornings. Adult Devin knows that was TV, and that TV is not real life, not even close. But still, for Devin and many others, that show was full of aspiration for a certain kind of future, a future that looked pretty good based on where she'd been. One's 20s are a fucking mess, and mine totally were a fucking mess, too. And so, I, yeah, I had insecurities about guys. I had insecurities about my friend group. I was in a sorority in college, and by the time I graduated, I really feared away from that life. If I could go back and do college again, I would have not done Greek life. And because of that, when I graduated from college, I sort of had to divorce myself from that whole scene. And all of the bachelorette parties and the bridal showers and the weddings, I sort of had to watch that go on with my college friends and know that I was in a different place. And so with oh my Sex God, in you the saved, City... <laughs> you, saved so much, you saved so much fucking money. <laughs> I know. Thank you. I think about that all the time. This is a pledge class of 24. I also spent my 20s wishing I had a friend group exactly like I saw in Sex and the City of your three go-to pals. And it was always, what are we doing this weekend? And you're making all your plans together. And I did develop that for myself over the years. As I got into, you know, my late 20s and 30s, I have that now in several forms. But my life stage is not their life stage. And now once again, I'm feeling left out and like my life doesn't look like theirs. Devin has a big name for this feeling. The dissonance that comes with these changes. These conflicting priorities and life phases. She calls it friendship heartbreak. And what do I do with that? Because... I don't want to divorce myself from these friend groups like I did in college. Like, I love these people. They love me. I'm really aware that it's not like once I get into a long-term partnership, my life's just going to be perfect forever. You know, like, (laughs) it's like, I know that even though my friends have achieved these sort of traditional milestones. It's not like their life's perfect, but I do have to acknowledge like what comes up for me when they all have those milestones and I haven't. This all reminds me of a similar situation I found myself in around Devin's age. I was single and I liked it like that, but a lot of my friends were married and some had kids. I knew their situations weren't perfect, but I started to feel a little guilty for having a life that looked so different. None of us really understood each other's experiences at that point. Maybe we didn't ask, maybe we didn't take the time, or maybe we were all in just such different places. Whatever the reason, it led to this period where we all started jumping to conclusions about each other's happiness. Instead of working to better understand each other, we took a far less mature approach we all started to slightly lie to each other, or lie by omission. If I'm being honest, I was the worst culprit of this. I remember my friend with kids called me one night, and I was out with a a friend, a guy friend from work, and we were at, like, literally only the legal seafood in Boston. It was nothing that exciting, right? We were just having a dinner out, and she sounded exhausted, and she had two very young children, and she's like, what are you doing? And I felt bad for her. 
And I said, oh, I'm just home on the couch. And later she would tell me, I was worried about you. You know, you've been home a lot alone on the couch, but I hadn't been. I had just been with different friends. And she was feeling bad for me. And she and I confessed we'd been feeling bad for our coupled friend because she kept doing puzzles with her boyfriend. And we were like, oh, this puzzles like they're home on a Friday doing puzzles it's so sad and what we realized is they really like doing puzzles and in fact we were all living our best lives and so concerned with the other person not being in the right place simultaneously we felt that we couldn't talk about our experiences when in fact we were desperate to know about each other's experiences it's just interesting as I get older to see that at some point we've decided that the way in which we're living is not going to be interesting to other people or will be belittled by other people or not understood by other people. But in fact, the people who are coupled with or without kids sometimes are having just as lonely of a time in their friendships as I might be being single. I have a similar experience to the one you were sharing where I, I have a friend who's pregnant and she she shares photos regularly of her growing belly and she looks amazing and we all love like seeing these pictures. And she said at one point, like, thank you for caring about my baby. And we were like, of course we all care about your baby. And like, we care about you. And that that is sort of the, what I was saying before about like, it's my problem that these conversations are reminding me of things that I want and don't have, but I need to work through that myself because it's, I very much want to hear about my friends' lives and I don't want to create distance between us. It's how do you do that while also grappling with, maybe it's jealousy, you know, I don't, you know, it's jealousy, I think. Devin. 30, flirty, and maybe just a little bit jealous. We come back with more after a quick break. Okay, we're back. At the beginning of the episode, Devin mentioned a group text she has with her friends. This text chain covers a lot of ground. Career updates, philosophical debates, even a play-by-play of last year's right-wing assault on the Capitol. But it's also full of life updates and potential wedding dresses and burgeoning baby bumps. And when the biggest thing Devin has to offer on this subject is a quick blurb on another date with another new guy, she can't help but compare her big moments to those of her friends. The way the pandemic started to change my friendships was that everything went to either Zooms or group texts. And it changed the dynamics for me. And I think it changed what I got out of my friendships. And it also changed the way that we talk to each other and what we choose to share. Whenever I'm I'm with my friends, I just love being around them and being with them. But when I go through spurts where it's like mostly group text, it can get hard because it feels almost like a highlight reel that I can't participate in. I don't know. It just sort of magnified for me things that I felt I didn't have. And I I felt like it was sort of constant. And I realized over time that it was getting to me a little bit. This is the point where I remind you all that social media is full of bullshit. And that highlight reel phenomena it pioneered, it can filter into group text too. 
especially when circumstances like, say, a global pandemic make these chats your main form of communication. It's easy to get excited for the friend who's getting married or having a kid, but those more day-to-day experiences, they can get lost in the shuffle. The way it made me feel is just that my choices are less significant and less worth discussion. Part of me feels like, do I expect them to be like rah-rah about guy number 12 in the span of like two years that I'm excited about after a first date? These friends, they've known me for like more than a decade. They've just, you know, they've heard me talk about many, many first dates. And so I guess I do just like, at this point, I feel silly talking about my relationship stuff when they're talking about things that feel so much more monumental. As the pandemic goes on, Devin finds herself sharing less about her dating life. In part, it's to avoid that tough feeling that comes when your life update doesn't get the attention you wish it did. But there's more to it. When she is asked about her dating life, the parts she's asked to share, they don't always feel fair. What changes about female friendships once some people are married and some people are not is that married people stop talking about sex. It's sort of unspoken that you are not to ask questions, certainly not intrusive ones. But I still, as a single person, am asked the like, how big was his dick after a third date? You know, like someone asked me that a couple weeks ago. And I'm kind of like, okay, I'm happy to like have that kind of fun conversation when like I'm not the only one on display. You know, it does feel different when you're the only one. It feels like there's a big spotlight on you and you're sort of having to entertain your friends rather than like relate to each other. When Devin told me this, I really felt for her conflicting feelings. She wants her friends to invest in her life and what's important to her. But she also doesn't want to feel like her singlehood is some sort of all-defining characteristic. But also, Devin recognizes, the responsibility doesn't just fall on her social circle. It's on her, too. Something that I've been working on with myself and with my therapist, big fan of therapy, is that this is my problem I feel like it's my thing that I need to work through because they are not doing anything wrong. You know, they're just talking about their lives and asking me about mine. And they do. Like, they ask me how the date was and they ask me things about the new guys I'm seeing. Devin loves her friends and she wants to keep them as an important part of her life. This means she has work to do in holding space, in making sure everyone she cares about feels seen and heard. I'm by no means a perfect friend. Very much as I think about how my friends are interacting with me, I think just as a woman who's getting older and more mature along the way, I'm thinking about how do I show up for my friends? How do we show up for the people we care about? If my previously mentioned lying at a seafood restaurant anecdote is any indication, figuring that out is easier said than done. What do I ask about? What do I not ask about, right? Like, who likes to be a... Some friends don't like to talk about their dating lives and never have, and other people don't want to talk about work. And, like, what am I not, like, making space for? One thing that comes up for me, as you mentioned, not 
not wanting to force people to get excited about the 12th guy you dated in a year and like whatever. But like, do you still like talking about it? Do you still like talking about weird dates? And are there moments it doesn't feel like entertainment, but or would it feel better if it was a shared back and forth? Yes and no. I mean, this is the question I need to be asking myself because it's like, okay, if I'm going to like write this essay and be like, you're not talking, you know, we don't talk about sex anymore. It's like, well, do you want to talk about sex more? Like, what do you want? And I honestly don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really have good answers for it yet. I think like, I want to feel like what I'm sharing matters and that my friends that I'm vulnerable with care and will make space for the things that I want to share at the end of the day. I will say since the essay, my married friends are talking more about sex, which is funny. And like, it's fun, you know, like it's, I almost, I feel like that's a little bit of a unspoken but spoken response to the essay. For now, Devin keeps swiping. She keeps celebrating the new house purchases and engagements in her text chain, she keeps moving forward. And this is something that really struck me about Devin. Despite numerous appearances of these three-episode men, she is something a lot of single people I talk to for this podcast don't have. In this age of extreme dating fatigue, she has optimism and she's not sick of it. She's excited to find out who else is out there. She's dedicated to putting in the work. She's looking for someone who matches her values with whom she has chemistry. She's also made a new rule for herself. Keep first dates short. Just get a drink. I like that idea. If it's dinner or brunch, <laughs> I can really set myself up for like, all right, I've got to stay the course until we get the check. And I don't want to really be there for two whole hours. So that's been really helpful to just be like, it's just going to be a drink or two if I want to keep talking. But if not, that's okay. I've gone on like a million dates. I've had really good ones. I've had really bad ones. I don't even know where to start with it. You just meet so many characters in New York. And it's also like, sometimes this is a positive thing for me and sometimes it's the opposite. This like scary truth that I have in the back of my head is like, once you're dating at 34, once I'm dating at 34, other good ones coupled up. I know that's so like cliche, but I like it's it's definitely something that like I when dating's not going well, you start to wonder if it's true. But there's always this feeling of there's more out there. So if something doesn't work out, I just go right back on Hinge and you know, swipe through 20 new guys and think, oh, 10 of these guys were really, really cute. I'm going to be fine. A lot of what's played into how I think about my 30s, right, is thinking about my time in relationships in my 20s. I was really in love with the guy. I thought I was moving out to San Francisco to get married and I thought I was done. Like, this is it. I've met the one. I can see my future from here. And I thought I had a very, like, traditional picture of what my future would look like with him. That blew up in flames. I don't feel like I'm on the timeline that I think a lot of women talk about. Like, okay, you're 34, time's ticking. Your, you know, fertility's about to expire kind of thing. I'm more just like, I really do enjoy being in a relationship. 
I think being a woman in your 30s is a fucking scam. And that, (sighs) and by the way, I don't feel that about being a woman in your 40s. I feel like no matter what you do, whether you're getting married, whether you're having kids, whether you're single, you're, you're doing it wrong somehow. If you're focusing on career, you're doing it wrong. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. And that's an oversimplification, but I don't know many men in their 30s who feel horribly like they're doing it wrong. And yet I feel like every woman I know in her 30s feels like there's some betrayal happening to some other part of her life. I look at you and I'm like, oh, like, you're in it. I'm so in it. Your 30s are just such an important time when so many big things happen. And so it's like, I want all of the things. I want the the career and the, I want every aspect of my life to like, look like a certain way. And in your 30s, it feels like you're, hitting the gas pedal on it. And so it's really easy to feel behind no matter which way you look. My hope for myself is, Meredith, you know, when I'm your age and thinking back on myself at this age, I'll laugh and just be like, oh, child, you were so worried about all of this stuff. And just you needed to chill out. That's what I hope for my 40s. It's tough to feel divorced from your friends by life phase. And it's hard to feel like you're not exactly where you want to be. But at least in my experience, that feeling never completely goes away, even with the wisdom that comes with hitting your 40s. As far as I can tell, the only way to make it through these challenging moments is to really lean into the relationships in your life that matter and give to those people in the same ways that you hope to receive. My friends just want me to be happy, so I should just live the way I want to live. And just like I'm trying to find a healthy long-term relationship, just do my best to have healthy friendships, too. Thanks, Devin, so much. Thank you, Meredith, for having me. This was great. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith does our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGorry and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can always send us a letter. We're an advice column. We're at loveletters at boston.com. We're online at loveletters.show. I think a lot about like where Samantha is and what she's doing. I think she's so happy. I know. She's so I think happy. She's so happy. This age, I look back at those episodes and I'm like, wow, some of these women were not listening to each other. They were just talking about themselves. Wherever Samantha is, I hope she has incredible friends who make space for her and listen. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.